man, <clears throat> I love being your pastor. We love you being our pastor. Thank you. I, I, well, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I'm just, I'm, I'm humbled by you guys, man. Uh, this lesson's going to challenge you. Promise you that. Challenge me. It's going to challenge you. Um, if I can't get off the hook, you can't either. Yeah, but the Lord has got some great things to say today. Carrie has already read the text this morning. May the Lord bless the hearer, the reader, and the doer of his word. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. We are in Mark. We're actually in, a, in our 11th week through the series of, 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 or through the book of Mark. It's a series that we've titled Servant King. And uh, today we are going to deal with that chunk of scripture that Kerry gave us, verse 7 through 21. But I really want to hone down on five particular verses, and we'll unpack them as they go, uh, as we go along. And I think what you're going to see is these five verses are truly a reflection on everything else that's spoken of in this text. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack those five verses I've titled this, this sermon today, Making Disciples, Lessons from the Master. Making Disciples, Lessons from the Master. I want you to hear this because I think, I, I think this is important. I believe that next to the resurrection, Jesus choosing and developing his disciples was the single most important thing that he did when he walked this earth. And, and I'll go on to say that I have a key takeaway for you. If you don't hear anything else from this message, I want you to hear this because it's important. Every disciple of Christ is called and commissioned to make disciples. How many followers of Christ in here? Raise your hand. Now look, now look. Now don't be shy now raising your hand. This is not a setup question, right? <laughs> All the other times, I'm like, how many, of you, I'm giving an altar call, right? How many of you followers of Christ? I'm like, <laughs> right? So the same people that raise their hands when I say you're a follower of Christ, how many disciples of Jesus Christ in here, right? Just raise your hand. Okay, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are both called and commissioned to be disciples. And not only called and commissioned to be disciples, but be disciples of Jesus Christ who know how to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's the Great Commission. So I've covered this before, and so I'm going to cover it again because we're going to be coming back to this in the, in, through the book of Mark. It's the theme through the book of Mark. Uh, what is a disciple, Pastor. A disciple is a lifelong student, it's a lifelong student or studier that has devoted their lives to something or someone. An effective disciple of Jesus Christ is a person who is becoming more Christ-like every day in both character and competency, character and skill. That's what that means. Competency. That means my ability to articulate the gospel, not only by the way that I live, but to be able to give a hope to you of the hope that lies within me as I articulate verbally the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and to anyone that I meet. 
skill. So I love what, what Dallas Willard says about this. Dallas Willard says a disciple is a person who is learning to be who Jesus would be if he were me. A disciple is a person that, that, that is learning to be like Jesus so that he, can, he or she can do like Jesus. So from our text today, what lessons can we learn from the master disciple maker today? There are four lessons Jesus drops on us from this text. Here's the first one. To be an effective disciple begins with an effective prayer life. I've been talking a whole lot about prayer, haven't I? Y'all sure are quiet today. Why is that? Don't go away from me now, man. Yeah, to be an effective disciple begins with having an effective prayer life. That's the first thing. We need to always pray before making decisions. Any decision needs to be bathed in prayer. I love how Luke expounds on this text. Remember I said Mark is like, he's like a CNN headline news reporter. He hits like the high points and then the other gospels kind of flesh it out. Here's what Luke says about Jesus in praying. Luke says in Luke chapter 6 verse 12, in these days, talking about when Jesus went to the mountain to pray, he went to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 who he named apostles. What's the point, pastor? Before that important decision that Jesus made to choose disciples, the first thing that he did was spend all night seeking the will of the Father for who he should choose. I think it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. We've got the Bible hogs out there just quoting it. <laughs> and don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways, what? And then what will he do? In all of your ways, that is the exclusion of nothing and the inclusion of everything. In all, everybody say all. All, all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Prayer is the currency of the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus modeled that for us, that in order to be an effective disciple, you have to first learn to spend time alone with the Father in prayer. He modeled it for us. I'm about to tell him one of the elders today because I think it's, 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 it's a practice we should all practice. Dave Lashania, the, the elder that was up here earlier, that led that, that devotion. Where's Dave at? Dave, man, there's a, there's a black preacher in you somewhere. <laughs> you, know, you can use this. this I, I see you up here, man. You, about, you get ready, and this looks like you're getting ready to go. <laughs> wouldn't you just crack up one day if Dave did that, wouldn't you? I'm going to work on you, but I'm going to have you surprise everybody one day. But Dave told the elders this, and, and I love this because I try to do this too. Dave says, listen, man, you know, when I wake up in the morning, my desire is to bathe my entire day in prayer. Yeah. 
And so before I hit my feet, hit the floor, what I do is say, okay, God, here I am again. I'm awake this morning, and I'm going to commit this day to you in prayer, the entire day. And so that even if I'm unconscious with some of the decisions that I make and I forget to ask you into that specific decision, I've already covered that decision in prayer. I like that, Dave. Prayer is the key. That's the first thing that Jesus modeled for us. If we want to be an effective disciple, and an effective disciple maker begins with an effective prayer life. There's something really interesting in this text that jumped out at me. I find it very interesting that Jesus begins and ends his time with his disciples on a mountaintop. Yeah, he calls his disciples to him. He calls them to the mountain. And, and if you remember right, the mountain represented a place of intimacy for Jesus. Because remember how the disciples used to look for him in the morning? They'd go, they'd look for Jesus, and he'd be like in the desolate places, away, spending time alone with his father. He would do the same thing when he'd go away and get, you know, go to the mountain. And so what Jesus was doing, Jesus was, was when he called his disciples and commissioned his disciples, he was calling them into his intimate space. Hmm. the intimate space that he shared with his father. And it brings me to my second point. The second lesson on how to be an effective disciple and disciple maker, if we are going to be effective, we must learn to invite others into our personal space. Well, I know that's hard. Hmm. Yeah. We have to learn how to do that. I am not the same pastor or disciple maker today as I was five years ago. Do you realize five years ago, my wife and I were so private with our lives that if you guys knew anything about us, it's because it slipped out. Now, there's, there's very little that you don't know about us because, because we endeavor to share our entire life with you. We have invited you in to our personal space. Jesus went up to the mountain. He called those whom he desired. They came to him. And he appointed the 12 to whom he named apostles, watch this now, so that they might be with him. So it might be with, remember I told you that there's being and there's doing, there's work and there's rest, there's a line and there's achieve. Jesus was calling the disciples to him. It was an open, intimate invitation to be in the place that Jesus would go in the private area of his life to be alone with his father. He was inviting them into his space. Hmm. He challenges them. He says, come be with me. Come live with me. Come learn the things that I've learned. Come live the way that I live. I'm inviting you into this, but listen, with this invitation is also an expectation that you are going to leave your ordered life behind in order to embrace this new life that I'm offering you. 
Jesus makes his statement in, in Mark 8 and 34. He says, listen, he says, if a man's going to come after me or a woman, everybody say woman, that's inclusive of everybody. If, 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 if a man or a woman's going to come after me, the, third, the first thing they need to do is learn to deny themselves. Take up your cross and follow me. You remember a few weeks ago when we were going through the Shape Up series and I, I gave you the matrix. Remember I showed you the matrix of high invitation, high challenge. We did that series intentionally because these shapes really help us to flesh out the gospel in meaningful ways. And, and, and put on paper some very practical shapes that we, can, that we can use to determine what's going on in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In that upper right-hand quadrant, you see discipleship. You see that it is both high invitation to coveted relationship, which is the building of character, the being, and it's also high challenge to kingdom representation. Competency, skill the doing. Jesus says, I want you to come after me. I want you to be with me, but it's going to require something of you. You're going to have to get rid of your old way of, of, of doing things, and you're going to have to come, deny yourself, take up your cross, just like I've taken up my cross, and follow me. You have to lose your life for my life. High invitation, high challenge. You guys with me? That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So for three years, these 12 disciples lived with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They saw him when he got up in the morning. They were with him when he laid down at night. They watched him pray. They were with him when he healed. They watched him preach and teach. They observed Jesus dealing with difficult people. They were with him. And through all their experiences, they, lived that the, they learned that the life that Jesus was living was radically different than the one that they were living. Hmm. And see, he hadn't called them to continue their lifestyle, and they knew it. Instead, he called them and challenged them to a whole new way, a whole new standard of living. Jesus called his disciples. He called them up. Every single one of us as disciples of Jesus Christ have the same call in our life. Every single one of us are called with the same call. It's the same challenge for us today. The only way we're going to be able to do that is by having an effective prayer life. That's the start. And the second thing, the second way of doing that is we have to be willing to invite people into our personal space just like Jesus did. And the third way that we can learn how to be effective disciples and be effective disciple makers, we, we must understand that we are called to reach people who are not like us. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one. See, Jesus called the disciples to himself with the purpose of equipping them first and then sending them out to preach, to deliver, to heal, and to cast out demons in every nation. Isn't that what the scripture says? This is not comfortable, man. This wasn't comfortable for Jesus. 
As I, was, as I was studying this, man, I got to tell you, I truly believe this. I think one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed was keeping these guys from killing each other. <laughs> I mean it, man. I'm going to unpack it for you in a minute. You're going to see. I think the, one of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed, Eric, was keeping these cats from killing each other, man. Wow, I mean, really, literally. You ready for this? Say, give it to us, Pastor. I heard, I heard way more than Give it to us, Pastor. Twelve disciples. Twelve disciples. Don't miss this. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen. They were blue-collar workers. We know a lot about them because Peter, James, and John hung out with Jesus. Everywhere he went, he took his, he took his ace boon coon. Y'all know what that is, do you? Y'all know what Ace Boon Coon is? That is, that, this brother back here don't know, man. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> That's just like when I told y'all the other day, Bomb Diggity. You guys remember Bomb Diggity? Yeah. Well, Ace Boon Coon is like my three, my three, my three men, my guys, my Ace Boon Coon. You guys got that now? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus, everywhere he went, he took Peter, James, and John. But we know about those guys. They were blue-collar workers. They were fishermen. But then there are five disciples, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, James, and Thaddeus. These guys are relative no-names, man. We don't know very much about them. I, I dug and dug and dug and dug trying to find stuff on these cats. And there was some stuff I dug up, you know, but not very much. Not nothing you could sink your teeth into like, like Peter, James, and John. So there's nine of the 12. Here's where it gets interesting. Then Jesus has these guys assembled. And he, and he calls Matthew the tax collector. You got to understand, in the time of Christ, tax collectors were, were those who collected taxes for the Roman government. Roman tax collectors were despised by the community because they were often dishonest and they were used intimidation and they would use brutality when it came to collecting taxes that people owed for the Roman government. There was no holes barred with these cats, man. They were despised by the community. Jewish tax collectors were considered traitors, liars, and extortioners by their own people. They weren't even allowed in the synagogues. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They were often disowned by their family. And we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus pulling this cat into the group. You with me? You guys with me? Say we're with you, Pastor. Yeah, I just want to make sure you're with me, man. I don't want to lose you. This is important. They were considered in the same class as murderers and adulterers and robbers and harlots and Gentile sinners. You with me? Listen, Matthew was a Jewish tax collector who collected taxes for the Roman government and Jesus invited him into the group. With five no-names and some blue-collar workers with their blood, sweat, and tears who couldn't get ahead of paying their taxes. Now you got a cat in here who's a true... Jesus. <laughs> oh, but it gets better. Then he invites Simon the Canaanite. Simon the Zealot. See, the designation Canaanite had nothing to do with a geographical designation. It was a political one. 
That, that, that term Canaanite is not the Canaanite that we know like the Edomites from, from Canaan. This, is, this Canaanite was, was spelled with a K. And it unmistakably connected him with the famous rebel party who rose in rebellion against Rome under Judas of Galilee. Azalea. See, when Jesus came on scene, when he burst on scene, taxes from the Roman government had, had, had been, they had accelerated, escalated to the point to where it was almost out of control. It was unbearable. People couldn't pay their taxes. And so, and so you had these factions of people who were rising up against the Roman government. The Zealots were one of those factions. Simon was a Zealot. Simon was a disciple of Judas of Galilee. And now Simon had become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It gets better. Verse 7 of our text today makes reference of a great crowd that followed Jesus from Judea into Jerusalem, and, or from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea. I want to tell you a little bit about the Edomans. Y'all know about them? You ever heard of them? Let me tell you about the Edomans. The Edomans were a heartless group of barbarians that would go into towns, and if they were at war with you, they would go in and completely annihilate everything in their path. Yeah, yeah, after Jesus had died and resurrected, somewhere around 67 AD, the Edomans and, and, uh, and the Zealots got together to overthrow the, the temple or, or Jerusalem, and, and so they, they, they got together on a coalition, went into Jerusalem, took over the temple, kicked out and killed all the aristocrats, and made their home in the temple. Three years later, 70 AD, the Roman government comes in and completely wipes out and decimates the temple, killing all of them. Now let me back, back up. The Edomans were coming to see Jesus. They were part of the crowd that was coming to see Jesus. You guys getting the picture? The Zealots hated the Roman government. They hated everything that it stood for. Simon was a Zealot. But now get this. It's quite possible, my research tells me, that it's quite possible that Judas Iscariot was a Zealot too. And that the very reason why Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus was because he realized somewhere down the road that Jesus wasn't coming to overthrow the Roman government. He was looking for a different kind of king. Hmm. So now, here we go. Four blue-collar workers, a Roman tax collector, a Jewish zealot, maybe two, and certainly a traitor, all in the same group of disciples that Jesus chose. Get the picture? Now, turn to, to Mark chapter 3 and drop down to verse 21. When you have a say amen. amen. And then he, Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, when they heard who Jesus had called to himself, they went out to seize him. They went out to take him by force because they said, this dude has lost his mind. You feeling that with me?
Hmm. Here's the point. Jesus knew that the choice of Simon the Zealot was not a safe choice. He knew that it was certain to cast suspicion on his whole entire group. He knew that Matthew choosing a tax collector was not a safe choice. He knew that that it could possibly cause the entire group to implode. And obviously he knew that Judas wasn't a safe choice because he knew that Judas was the one that was chosen to, to betray him before the foundation of the world. He knew. But this is why it's important to pray, you all, because God doesn't operate from the, same, from the same filter that we operate from. Remember, Jesus had stayed in front of his father all night in prayer. And, and against all conventional wisdom, these are the ones that his father told him to choose. And it changed the entire world. For the sake of making disciples, Jesus was willing to take the risk. He was willing to invite people into his personal space. He was willing to consider others who were not like him, who didn't have the same agenda that he had when he started with them, who didn't look much like Jesus when he started. He was willing to take the risk because that's what disciple-making takes. The question is, family, as we press forward into 2016 and as we fulfill the, the great commission for our lives as a church, will you be willing to do the same thing as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Man, sure is quiet in here. Everybody say, stretch. Yeah. And I'm like, stretch. Come on, y'all ain't saying it. Stretch. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's stretching. I know it's stretching. It's stretching me. It's been stretching me all week, so y'all get to stretch some too. I mean, we're together in this ride, right? Aren't we? We're together with this. We're one family, man. We're trying to learn how, what God wants us to do, who, we, who he wants us to be. We're going to do this together. And if we're going to do it together, we're going to do it the way that Jesus did it. Amen. Yes? I'm getting ready to close. <laughs> I was telling him, die about the black. My sister's just laughing because <laughs> she knows. Mm, I'm getting ready to close. I'm getting ready to close. Yeah, okay. I am getting ready to close, though. <laughs> No, I won't, I won't stretch it too much because I'm going to kind of condense it a little bit so I, can, so I can get ready to close. Here's my fourth and final lesson that I believe the master discipler wants us to learn in this text or from this text, and that is that discipleship takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Watch how this unpacks. Jesus calls the 12 to himself onto the mountain. He calls them up to himself. He, in, in Mark chapter 3, he prepares them to handle the authority that he's going to give them, but he doesn't give them the authority yet. He doesn't send them out yet. He hangs out and spends time with them, developing them first. 
He doesn't send them out until Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And here's why. Because Jesus understood that discipleship took time. He understood that it would not be easy. He understood that it would require deeper relationship with one another. A deeper relationship than we can share with, with a lot of individuals in a crowd. Discipleship often is one on one. Jesus knew that. And so he committed himself to, to the disciples in every way. He made himself accessible to them. He confided in them. He pulled them aside away from the crowd and gave them his personal instruction. He asked them deep penetrating, provocative questions that would stimulate their thinking. He taught them and he admonished them and then he prodded them and he poked them and he kept pushing them to take steps of faith. He nurtured and he loved on them because he wanted to be with them and he wanted them to become who he was because he had a great expectation for them. And here's what it was. I've done these great things, but I'm setting you up to do greater works than me. Isn't that what he said? And in return, his disciples were committed to him. They grew in their love for Jesus. They wanted to be more like him. They were eager to learn from him. They grew in their desire to obey and to serve him and to be loyal to him. Like all of us, they wrestled with sin issues, man. Their story is written in a book for all to see. Ours aren't. And some of us wrestle with, with issues in our lives. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we wrestle. And listen, and listen the secret to wrestling and, and overcoming and not being bound by sin issues in our life isn't to man up or woman up and, and like, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to press through this thing. It's not, that's not the secret. How's that been working for you? The secret is surrender, man. The secret is recognizing that there is someone greater who understands exactly what it's going to take for you to overcome that thing that has been plaguing you, and he wants you to surrender to him. The disciples wanted to do that. They trusted him in this way. And so over time, they became willing to give up everything, even their own lives, for the sake of the gospel. So over those years, the disciples spent most of their time observing Jesus at work. And then when it became their time, they began to imitate what Jesus had shown them. They preached as they'd seen him preach. They healed the sick and comforted the mourning just like Jesus did. They casted out demons just like Jesus did. And listen, they made disciples just like Jesus did. I think it's fitting that we close the sermon kind of like the way that we began. And Mitch, you can come to the piano if you would. And we're going to take communion today as a family. If you guys can prepare the elements too as well. Remember I said that, that I began this sermon with Jesus calling his disciples up out of the crowd onto the mountain. He also does the same thing with the commission of the disciples. So he calls them out, and then he commissions them. 
on a mountainside. Let me close with this. Now the, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm commanding you to do. I want you to go with the same authority. I want you to teach all nations. I want you to interact with people that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, don't smell like you, don't have your culture, didn't, didn't come up in church. Maybe they're strung out on drugs and they don't have any hope and they come to you. I want you to go to them. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and in my name and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And then here's what I want you to do. Once you've done that, I want you to teach them the same things that you've learned. I want you to disciple them. Just like someone discipled you. And then he said this, if you will be sure to do this, you can guarantee that I will be with you every step of the way because this is what I've commanded you to do. These are the lessons from this text from the master disciple maker. Will you stand with me?